Beloved congregation, next week, Sunday, the Lord willing, we hope to celebrate the Lord's death till he comes. Celebrate. Is that the correct word? Our forefathers used that word. It is a joyful occasion. A joyful place to sit there, to rejoice in the Lord and to rejoice in his death. That he said it's finished, that he bowed down the head, that he yielded up the ghost, that he was willing to die for his people. A celebration. So we will invite God's people to attend the Lord's Supper with a humble joy, not a superficial joy and shallow, but with joy in the heart and a humble joy, understanding that we don't deserve such a payment, such a grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we hope to invite God's people to attend the Lord's Supper, to eat the bread, to drink the cup, And as you know, we need the church right for that. You need to be a member of the church, a confessing member, in good standing. But we also need to have a divine right. We must be one of God's people. It is not sufficient to be a confessing member. We must be one of the Lord, having been made alive being quickened from the dead. So therefore we should examine ourselves if we are saved by Christ. If it is just a common work of the Spirit or a saving work of the Spirit, we need in, in prayer to ask the Lord, Lord, make that, make that clear. We need to examine if we are true believers, if we are Christians, Therefore, we need to know in the first place what a true faith is, right? What is a true faith? That is the main issue at a preparatory sermon. Well, that is beautifully summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. So I have chosen for this morning the Lord's Day 7. That is... Also, the Lord's Day that we should talk about today anyway. Lord's Day 7, page 34, questions 20 through 23. 20. Are all men then, as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? And so know only those who are engrafted into him and receive all these benefits by a true faith. What is a true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word but also an assured confidence which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel 
in my heart that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. 22. What is then necessary for a Christian to believe? All things promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic endowed Christian faith briefly teach us. With all these articles, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and what follows. Congregation, the theme for this morning, a true faith, a true faith with the help of the Lord, five thoughts. The benefits of faith, the marks of faith, God-given faith, only by faith, and the Catholic Christian faith. So true faith, in the first place, the benefits of faith are all men then as they perished in Adam saved by Christ, nor only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits, receive all his benefits by a true faith. Secondly, the marks of faith, as you will see here also in this article, it is a faith that is a knowledge and an agreeing and a trusting. In the third place, a God-given faith. The Holy Ghost works it by the gospel in my heart. In the fourth place, only by faith. It is nothing else but the faith that saves us. It is justifying faith, not justifying love. And the fifth place, the Catholic Christian faith, which is in application. Congregation, we have seen before that Adam's sin is our sin. Did the children understand that? Children? Adam was told, don't eat of that tree. Why not? If you eat of that tree, you will die. And what else? And your wife and your children and your grandchildren and all people die. If you sin, Adam, your sin is their sin. If you sin against me, the Lord said to Adam, then I will see that, I will view that as the entire mankind rebelled against me. So Adam sin our sin. Adam represented us. And he was the head of the covenant of works. However, the Lord sent another Adam. Another Adam? 
are the two Adams. Well, Adam in paradise, that's our forefather. His sin is our sin. And then the Lord promised that he would, he would send another Adam. Another representative, a second Adam, which is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus took the first Adam's place. And the Lord Jesus said, Adam, you ruined it. And now I give another Adam. He will be the savior of my people. He will be the representative of my church. And we read about that in Romans 5. Here it is. Therefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Jesus Christ. See? So the one Adam replaced by another one, the Lord Jesus Christ. But now the question is, if Adam is representing all mankind, if his sin is our sin, is the righteousness of Jesus also the righteousness of our people? If Adam is the for all people, is the second Adam also the savior of all people? And the answer is no. No. Are all men then as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? No. Only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by true faith. So some would say yes. The universalists, they say yes. They say the first Adam ruined it, the second Adam restored it. In the first Adam, we are going to hell, but the Lord Jesus sent all people go to heaven. That is not in the Bible. God is love, but also just. He is also righteous, and he will not save everyone. He is also free. So who will be then who will be then saved those who are engrafted into him? Engrafted. Let me talk about that. Let's go to an orchard, children. See all those, let me say, apple trees. And I go to a particular apple tree and I look at that and I suppose I'm knowledgeable and I look at that stem and I feel my hands in the, in the dirt and take a shovel and see what the roots are like. And I look at the apples and the, and the leaves and the branches and I think, well, this is a very strong root. 
and you seed it on the abundance of apples and leaves. So very strong root. But then you take one of those apples and you taste it and you think, no, I don't like this. I don't like the taste. It's so sour. It's not edible. So the tree looks good, has a strong root, but the fruit itself is tasteless or rye. So you go to another tree, and it's the opposite. The roots are not so strong. The leaves are not that healthy. But the apples itself are delicious. So that is the opposite. You know what I do? What if I could, do, could combine that? If I could combine the strong root with the nice apples, and if I could, if they could, could swap them. And that is, in fact, possible. So I go to that tree with saw, that strong root, that huge trunk, and I just cut it. And all the, le- all the brands are gone. And with a knife, I make incisions on the side of the bark, horizontally and vertically, and just make a pocket of that. And I take off that on the tree with those delicious fruits, I take some twigs and I just insert them into that little hole. Maybe five or ten of them. And I use some rope and I just hope that they will stay close and after a few weeks, yes, they bond. So now I have a strong root and they have delicious apples. So within a year or two, he's just absolutely special. A huge tree, lots of apples, and the taste is good too. So you call that engrafting, engrafting. The new twigs are engrafted in the old stock. Well, that is what we need. We need to be inserted in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is that trunk. The Lord Jesus is that strong root. And sinners are engrafted into him. So they bond and I I become one with him. Here are two texts, Romans 6. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Or John 15, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that bear fruit, he purges it, and it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So the question is now, are we engrafted? Are we engrafted into that new root, that strong root, or not? That is the biggest difference. 
You know, if you are not engrafted into him, you're on your own. And you don't bear fruit. But if you're engrafted in him, although you're not that strong, you don't have the strength and the power, but he is doing the work. And he is saving his people. So are you one plant with him? That is the biggest difference. We must be engrafted in Christ in order to bear fruit. But how can we be? How can we have when, when the farmer makes that incision and inserts that twig? What exemplifies that? What is happening when the Lord takes his sin and, and has engrafted the sin into Christ? What, 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 what is that? What, what do we call that? We call that faith. By faith, sinners are engrafted. Are all men, as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? No, only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by a true faith. The faith that receiving, that is the bonding, that is the connection, the connection of the, those two trees are of faith. And as soon as a sinner is born again, and as soon as a sinner has that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is that bonding, there is that receiving, there is that being united. And then the substream comes from the root to the sinner. By faith. And receive all his benefits. So when you go to the tree, it's amazing that the nutrients, the, the, the nutrients from, from, from the soil, they, they, they get into the leaves and to the, into the top of the tree. So they are partake of all the benefits of the nutrition. And so the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of sinners and brings that grace of the Lord Jesus inside. And we receive all the benefits, the forgiveness of sins, peace with God, eternal life, Adoption as a child, being heirs of the kingdom, engrafted. So is that being engrafted something from eternity? Are God's people engrafted into Christ from eternity? No. No, it is in that hour of regeneration. When the faith is planted as a seed in the heart at that very moment, then they are made alive, and then they are connected with Christ. They are not born again from eternity. They are not believing from eternity. But it's happening in the time. So ask yourself the question, if you have been engrafted 
into Christ so that you know him, cannot miss him, lean upon him, drink from the fountain, brings to the second thought the marks of grace. What is faith? Faith is the same as believing. That's in the original Greek language, the same word. Sometimes it is translated as faith, sometimes believing. It's the same word, pistalo. Sometimes translated as believing, sometimes translated as having faith. It's the same. So are you a believer? Do you have faith? It's the same. But the problem is, in English, the believing has a different meaning than in the Bible. For example, if you would ask, is it snowing tomorrow? Some would say, maybe. And someone else says, I believe so. I believe so, do you mean? Well, I'm not sure, but I believe so. So in that sense, believing is, I don't know for sure. But I just guess so. I just, I think it will be. But I'm not 100% certain. In the Bible, believing is knowing it. 100%. A certain knowledge. See that? What is a true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge. It's more than that. Of course, if someone believes in Christ, he or she knows something of Christ. Knows something of the birth or the natures or the names. You know, we all know things about Christ. We all have certain knowledge, don't we? The knowledge of that Jesus means he saves his people from their sins. We know that. Many things we know. We know the Bible doctrine. We were taught at catechism classes. We, we, we know it. But that is just a fact. I know this by, by fact that Ottawa is the capital of Canada. It's a fact. But the believing in the Bible is even stronger than that. It's not only knowing that the Lord Jesus died, and not only knowing that the Lord Jesus paid the price, that the Lord Jesus is changing people, and he is doing all the work. It's not only knowing all those facts. It's also agreeing with or even liking it, loving it, appreciating it. So sometimes people know something and also appreciate it. And sometimes I know things I don't appreciate. 
But it's even more. True believing is to know something and to love it and also to trust it. To also trust it. So you see that here, right? Faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence. Also a confidence, a, a faith, a trust, a trusting in him. You know that text, John 3.16. But there's something remarkable in that text that you may never have followed. So God loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? That whosoever believeth in him will not perish. It does not say whosoever believes him shall be saved. It doesn't say that. It does not say whosoever believes him, but believeth in him. And it would say, well, what's the difference? That's just a small word. It makes all the difference. You know, you believe in someone or you believe that someone is a good cook. Or that someone is a good mechanic. Or that someone is a good tradesman. No, it is not only that. It is also from the heart trusting and appreciating in him who shall believeth in him. So my question is not what you know about Christ, but my question is what you believe, if you believe in him, if you have a relationship, because in refers to a relationship. Do you believe in your husband? Do you believe in your mother? Do you trust them? Is there something of a connection there? Well, that is the case with God's people. They have a relationship with him. They believe in him. And you see that often in the Bible, that relationship, let me just show that to you, that is not only knowing the truth, believing the truth, and appreciating the old doctrine, it is having a bond with someone. So therefore, believing is in the Bible also expressed as a coming. Come unto me. Not a coming to the truth, but a coming to him. Come unto me, ye that are heavy laden. And I will give the rest. See, that's a relationship. 
Take my yoke upon you. So the yoke of the Lord Jesus, to take it upon you. Draw near to God through him. So through the Lord Jesus, drawing nigh unto God. It is a looking unto him, an eating of his flesh, a putting on of him. So therefore, it's also called reconciliation. Now some people may have been in a fight and they have been hurting each other and then you need to bring them together again and they need to work things through together and they need reconciliation. Not only forgiveness, also reconciliation to come together again. And that is what we need. To wit that God was in Christ, the world unto, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So be ye reconciled. That is the believing. The believing is connecting, receiving, being grafted into him. <clears throat> And this goes together with repentance, right? With repentance. What does it mean? Well, when someone comes and believes and takes refuge unto the Lord Jesus Christ, there must also be repentance. There must be also a sorrow. A sorrow, but also a choice. So believing is to know and to rejoice in it and to trust in him and to feel sorry for your sin and also have that choice in heart to choose for the Lord. Turning to Christ is turning away of sin. Oh, just a warning. Some theologians don't agree with this and say, just trust. Just trust in the Lord Jesus. Just believe him. You don't need repentance. You don't need a broken heart. You don't need to be so Filled with sorrow. Why not? Well, this unconditional, this believing is enough. You don't need to have a broken heart. Then there'll be later someday, someday. They say. They even accuse us of being Roman Catholics 
and saying you, uh, you, you, you think you'll be saved by, by your repentance, right? You have to have repentance, you have to have this, you have to have that, and brokenness, and that's, that's Roman Catholic. Well, no, it is not. The Bible teaches us that we need to repent and that we need to come to Christ with sorrow. That is not a, that is not a condition of qualification, but it is yet necessary. Let me show you. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, Paul said on Mars Hill. Calls all people to repent. Or despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So repentance is an essential part of believing. The rich and ruler, remember him? What did the Lord Jesus say to him? Sell everything you have and come back. That woman that was approaching the Lord Jesus at the well, the Lord Jesus said to her, call your husband. He wanted to arrest her. He wanted her to repent of her sins. So that is essential. Him has God exalted with his right hand to a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So we need to know, we need to like it, we need to trust, we need to repent, we need that choice of heart. Brings to the third thought. God given faith. Now we've heard of faith. A faith connects. A faith is that inserting of the twig into the trunk. We have seen what that believing is. That there's a knowledge and a confidence and a sorrow and a choice. But how do you do that? Can you just do that yourself? Can you just get yourself so far? Okay, I will do that. I will believe. Here we go. I believe now. Can we believe? Well, the answer is simple. No. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So I cannot even change 
the color of my preference. Right? We talk about that often at catechism classes. I sometimes ask, what is your favorite color? Someone says purple. I say, okay, I give you $1,000 if tomorrow it is yellow. And they, they smile and say, okay. No, I say, no, no, it has to, be, has to be genuine. So tomorrow you have to prefer yellow over things. Tomorrow that is your favorite color from the heart. You, you cannot change that. We have no free will in that sense. I have no free will to hate and to love and to trust and to like and to prefer. I don't have that choice. And that is also true for believing. I cannot that is a gift of God. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Tyra, which worship God heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of. Paul. Or John 8. Why do you not understand my speech even because ye cannot hear my word? Or John 15, I am divine, you the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, and for without me you can do nothing. So that believing is something I can't. I just absolutely can't. There's zero chance. Believing is a supernatural work. We cannot come unto God unless the Father draws us irresistibly and infallibly. Now we have a legal right to believe. We have permission to believe. The door is open. There's a heartfelt invitation to believe. So we have received that right to believe. All people did. But we have no ability to believe. And no willingness to believe. So we have permission, a legal right, on the basis of the Bible. The Lord says, you may. You may come without money, without price, no matter what, whoever you are, no price asked, without money, without price. You may come. The arms of God are stretched out. But there's no ability and there's no willingness. In the Heiberg Catechism, or in the Cancer of God, rather, we read about that on page 104. Moreover, 
The promise of the gospel is that whosoever believeth in Christ crucified shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, are to be declared and published to all nations and to all persons, promiscuously and without distinction, to whom God, out of his good pleasure, sends the gospel. So what's needed is that the Lord pours out the ability that with the Holy Spirit he makes me to believe, makes me willing even, makes me willing to receive him. And the Holy Spirit convinces people of that. Which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel in my heart. See that? The Holy Gospel works it in my heart. He works not the right. The right already are. He, he gives the ability. And not only the ability, he just persuades me with the Bible. And it brings me to the Lord Jesus Christ. He enlightens the understanding he gives eyes to see him. Oh, that is an extraordinary work. That is not a common work. It is a sovereign and free work. The Lord passes by the one and gives faith to the other. The subjects are often the poorest, the most ignorant the most ungodly ones. But he works it in an immediate work upon the heart. He is bending the will. Think of Jeremiah 31. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. So the most eloquent speaker cannot give the ability to come to Jesus. Moses was a meek and amiable preacher, but the people murmured. The Apostle Paul could not convert anyone. John the Baptist, he was not able to change people's heart. And the Lord Jesus, he preached perfect sermons, and the people, many people walked away from him. So no, no matter how warm the message is, no matter how well the sinner's love is explained, no matter how amiable, how sweet, it does not convert sinners. Need the most serious explanations of what sin is. Picturing the flames of hell. The Lord is not forcing people, but he changes people's hearts and he gives them the ability and the willingness to believe. Have we discovered that? The failure you give, are you able to believe yourself? Have you been in the trap? You say this, I made the mental decision in my head to believe. 
and that you'll be fine. No, it is not. We need to believe with the heart. That makes the difference. And therefore, there's the people wrestling with her. And they feel it and they know it. I cannot believe. And they are so dependent. They cry out unto God that they can't. They know that they have to. They cannot. They're so poor and needy also in that sense. And they can relate to that father of the lunatic boy who said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Oh, that unbelief being so strong. And yet the Lord gives faith and makes people willing. Therefore, my beloved, as ye always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. See that? So does the Lord do that. The Lord do that. So I would say, bring your inability to the Lord. Bring your unwillingness to the Lord. And say, Lord, I am so corrupt. I'm so averse. I'm so incapable. I'm so unwilling. And bring that to him. But keep in mind that you don't need to bring anything. It is by faith only. Congregation salvation is only by faith. Justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, that is one of those slogans of the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola scriptura, solo Christo, soli Deo Gloria, and sola fide. So salvation does not come our way through the sacraments, but by faith only. Faith is the connection. Faith is the receiving. As many as received him, he has given power to become the sons of God, namely, that believe in him. Believing is receiving. Believing is receiving it. So the Lord coming with it and showing you and offering it and the sinner receiving it instead of rejecting it, instead of despising it. So then the Lord Jesus preached to you, have you received him? Have you received him? Because that is the main thing 
as many as received him. He has given the power, the authority to become the sons of God. And then the explanation is namely that believe in him. So believing is receiving. Not chasing it. Not running after it. But receiving it. It is the opposite of despising it. By nature, we despise the Lord Jesus. But the Holy Spirit brings the sinner to him and shows him and says, look at him. And then sinners are given to see him and to appreciate him and to treasure him and to trust in him. And then they trust in such a way that it is not only for others, but also for me. Remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation, freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. You know this strains even God's people sometimes have the feeling that the people with the deepest convictions are more have more rights to flee to Christ. Again, some people, even sometimes God's people, think that when you have deep convictions, the deeper your convictions are, the more rights you have to flee into Christ. No. No, absolutely not. All sinners have equal rights to flee unto Christ. The one is not more right than the other. The one is not more fitting than the other. The one is not better than the other. And that is the comfort for God's people. That they don't have more, that they don't need to have more to receive more rights, to receive a better access. They don't need anything. They don't need to qualify. They may come the way they are. And they also must admit, God's people, they must admit that they cannot believe on command either. They cannot just believe in a lively way, when they wish, they also receive that insight into our total corruption. And even God's people need the Holy Spirit again. So if you, in a week of preparation, feel so cold again, well, that is nothing new. That is what God's people have. It is to receive more insight in your abomination. But you don't need to have more things stirred up in your heart in order to make you qualify people to come to the table. No, without money, without price. It is that the righteousness of God, which is by faith, 
of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. See? Well, people of the Lord, you are not alone in your struggles. You still cannot believe on command. You can fake it. You cannot delight in Christ, not treasure him, not love him, not highly esteem him. You can't. You, you feel that, don't you? And you don't want to pretend either. And yet, use the means. And also expect that lively faith of him. Don't try to make it up yourself. Receive him. Do not even expect to be able to make yourself receptible. But meditate upon the word and do not forget that the most tender heart with the deepest conviction of sin is still a sinful heart and that the Lord is still willing to save people from their sins who have no qualifications at all. You may have a question and say, how much humility and brokenness do we need then? So much that we have no right, no money, no price, no condition we can fulfill, and then to come as you are. Psalm 38, for my iniquities are gone over my head. As in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled, I bow down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Do you know that? Is that your language? Just confessing to the Lord that you have nothing? Well, come unto him, ye that have you laden, and I will give you rest. Examine your heart and repent. Sinners, unconverted, repent and seek salvation in the Lord. Seek also that through faith, the Lord says, you are welcome to believe. But also seek that ability and open that Bible and ask the Lord also for the willingness to believe, to receive him. Seek to find more in Christ. Everlasting righteousness, salvation, are freely given, freely given by God. Merely of grace. See how much emphasis on that? Merely by grace. Only for the sake of Christ's merits. Merely then seek it all outside of self in another. Amen.